if you are located outside of the European Union, the United Kingdom and or Switzerland, then you need an authorized representative. So I have a good news, you have found it with Easy Medical Device. And if you are also in need of an importer in Europe and in Switzerland, then contact us definitely at info at easymedicaldevice.com. I-N-F-O at easymedicaldevice.com and I'm sure we can help you. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy Podcast. I am Munir Alazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standards today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we'll talk about a, a, a nice topic or a preferred topic of a lot of <laughs> design and developer for medical devices, which is usability. So usability is really a term that uh, we hear a lot. We also hear the term human factors. Uh, and the idea now is to tell you more about what this is and how uh, how how you should consider this kind of activity there so and for that i have with me uh, michael angler from bencana interfaces so michael welcome to the medical device made easy podcast hi munia thanks for having me yeah great so thank you um, michael so uh, i remember that we met in berlin and then we had to discuss I, I was asking you those questions about <laughs> usability and then i said okay can you come to my podcast and let's have the discussion yeah. directly in the podcast? And it was really great. So I'm really happy that you are here. So for the people that don't know you, can we just have a small introduction of yourself, who you are exactly? Yeah. Hi, I'm Michael. Um, I am one of the two co-founders of Bankana Interfaces. Uh, and uh, we are basically doing nothing else but uh, medical device usability and human factors. Uh, this is really uh, what our company is about. And um, yeah, I do this since about 2009. Um, and yeah, I'm part of the uh, IEC committee committee. Uh, the joint working group for yeah, well, people will not not recognize that anyhow, but it's uh, it's uh, the uh, standards committee on IEC 62366-1. Exactly, and mainly this is the the the, the main standard that we'll be talking about today, because uh, as said, uh, this is an activity that. Uh, most of the companies should be doing. Uh, but yeah, there are still a lot of questions that I'm receiving about usability, how to do that, when to do that, who, who to do that, etc. So um, it's why I wanted you to be here just to answer those questions and to tell more of your experience. As you've said, you are here since 2009 doing all that. So you have seen mainly a lot of companies and a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, those activities done. So you know what is good, bad, and maybe uh, the ugly also. So let's, uh, let's look at that. So first, uh, what I wanted to ask you is mainly um, for the people that also maybe are starting on this activity, if you can explain the term usability. It's actually a quite interesting term because you, we have three concepts uh, that relate to it. And it's a measurable thing, which is uh, kind of surprising for, for a lot of people who uh, come and join and, and see this term. And the first thing really is, um, are people who are using your device, your users, are they effective? The second thing is, um, are they efficient? And the third thing is, are they satisfied? And these three concepts can be measured quite easily. We can observe how people 
um, reach their goals that they have. So that's really the effectiveness part. Then we have the efficiency part where we just take a stopwatch while watching them. And the third bit is something where we need the, the uh, psychologists and those psychologists, they just uh, have questionnaires and we can use those validated questionnaires to measure, measure their satisfaction. So that's basically the main concept. And um, the idea of usability is that we don't look at the device itself only, but the human interaction with the device. So we have basically the human in the loop in that um, in, in that um, topic. And that's the interesting bit, because obviously we're interacting with physicians and nurses and the patients themselves sometimes, sometimes not. And exactly. this is really really the point. Yeah, so we're looking at the context of the device itself. And that is a bit different for many engineers, because many engineers are just looking at the device itself. Exactly. And uh, we have this concept uh, with the ISO. Uh, we have another wording that is human factors that a lot of US people are using. Is there a difference on the practice on the ISO and on the human factor that uh, US are, are talking about? Yeah. Um, so the FDA uses human factors and usability engineering kind of similar as in, in terminology. When you look at the clear human factors side, um, people in human factors might also look at things like, are the people who are actually using that, are they qualified? Is their personality correct, etc.? These are things the FDA isn't interested about. They are just interested in the device, and that's basically usability. And in that aspect, it is quite um, similar and pretty much the same thing. But when you would look at human factors, usually we'd go to aerospace, and they would talk about things like um, how crew resource management, etc. How does a crew interact in certain cases? How do they work in emergency cases? But that's not interested. That's that's not the topic of the FDA. So you can say it's equivalent. So uh, we talked about uh, the standard, so mainly IEC 62366, uh, which is one of the standards that uh, is involved in that. Um, is this the main standard or is there any other small standard that we have also to, to look at? Uh, yeah, so the IEC 62366-1 is the normative part. And then there is the explanation part, which is a TR, yeah. a technical report, which also explains more on, on what usability is and gives you some context. Actually, it's it's funny because when you read the dash two, um, you see text that is in italic and you, you see text that is not in italic. The italic text is just additional information that goes beyond being compliant. Um, and IEC 62366-1 only focuses on safety, whereas the dash two also gives you idea how to improve the device, for example. Exactly. So because here the whole point is mainly uh, to be sure that the people that will be using the device know how to use it and don't make any mistake by using it and read correctly the instructions and everything. So the idea is mainly uh, that we are improving our practice, that that we don't need to be behind each user to tell them you have to do it like this or like that. It's self-explanatory yeah. and you have we have everything that is really... Um, us as manufacturer, we have done all the job to make it like to put our, ourselves on the shoes of the user and then to make this as easy as possible for them to use uh, the device. Yeah, and the interesting point is that many people think um, usability is about being intuitive. 
but we always ask for whom. For a physician, something might be very intuitive, but for me, it might not be at all because I'm not a physician. I'm not a trained oncologist. So um, that is a very important concept to remember that we are not only looking at um, the device, but we are also looking at a very specific user group. Yeah, so that's that's an important thing to remember. Exactly. And um, so now that we have a clear understanding of mainly what is usability, so um, when... In a, in a project when I, I will try to make like a medical device. So when should I start to think of usability? So is this something that I should, should think even when before I have a prototype or is it after or is it at the end when we have all the, the project that is done? So what is exactly the, yeah. the steps that you would recommend many on that? Yeah. Um, and maybe we can, we can combine this with uh, taking us through a process of how do I do this ideally? Um, I always say, in usability engineering, when a client calls, it's already too late. Okay. <laughs> so um, you can't start too early with that. As soon as you have an idea for a product, you don't, you, you have not written down any intended use, no documentation, nothing yet. You've got the idea. You can start usability engineering and you should, or maybe you could call it user experience as well, because that would be a larger concept where we look out does it look nice? And we don't only look at the safety parts. So um, we could look at user research. We understand who are the users. We understand the context. We give you a description of what's going on. What are the tasks and goals of people who are actually using um, or will be using our new device? Even if it's a very, very innovative product, we can still do that. And then we can as well look at resources that people have, for example, um, any kind of gloves, uh, personal protective equipment, or other medical devices in the surroundings would be resources. And in that respect, it's quite interesting to see um, what kind of um, aspects we can find out. And then we can come back and say, by the way, hey, these are aspects that people will use, and this is how they behave right now. And we want to change that behavior because obviously a new device will change their behavior. And hopefully we do that in a way that people understand it in the end, because the new device brings an innovation into their context and they then understand, hey, cool, I can do things much quicker. I can do things way better with the new device. So, so that will be the early part. And that is something that is not regulated. It's called okay. user research. The next step would be, okay, we need to formalize. We got an intended use. And actually the standard says, by the way, the use specification, which is one of the parts that the standard requires us to write about users and the environment in which the device is being used, um, that is actually being taken in, in, a, in a set so that um, we, we describe and inform the intended use. That was the idea of the standard. That never happens. We do that afterwards usually. Hey, but yeah, people writing standards are sometimes obviously not uh, always uh, on the side of uh, practicalities. So uh, from then on, uh, what happens next is basically still on paper, still design input phase. We're looking at the device and we can describe the interaction between humans and the device in a very high level form. We don't need to describe buttons, uh, windows, text fields, etc. We just describe, hey, I'm uh, entering the patient name. I'm entering the patient weight. I'm entering um, the patient um, sex, etc. So that um, I can then start a process, for example, for dialysis or whatever. 
Yeah. So, and once I have that interaction, I can derive requirements possibly if I would want to. Um, I can clearly then derive use errors. And that's the central concept of IEC 62366-1. These use errors can go into risk analysis and in your risk analysis or in our risk analysis, we will find what needs to be mitigated and what not. And from there on, we get further requirements. We write our user interface specification. Maybe there are several requirements levels in between from, from a technical point of view, but those user requirements are pretty much on the level of software requirements, somewhere there, mechanical requirements, electrical requirements. And then um, we, we have a specifics, how does the user interface really interact with the user? Yeah, and from there on, we can then derive prototypes and then people build stuff really, yeah? So then an engineer can go off or someone who is a user interface designer, if we would be talking about uh, software as a medical device or just software. Um, and then uh, someone who um, is an industrial designer can go off and design a device uh, from, from these activities, from the requirements and the use scenarios and the use errors. And from then, we obviously help hopefully some kind of prototype. We don't even need code or anything. And that prototype can be non-functional. It can be a cardboard box with knobs in in wooden knobs, et cetera, or we make to put a tablet somewhere where we can have a Figma prototype on, and then people can click through and we can test, we can evaluate. That will be a formative evaluation and we'll probably come to that later on. We'll form the device still by hopefully changing it and improving the way people um, work with it. And then in the end, we get to the summative evaluation where we hopefully can say everything is correct and people can use the device safely. Hey, just a second. Do you need a EU, Swiss or UK representative? Then choose Easy Medical Device. We can represent you and also become your importer. Contact us at eo at easymedicaldevice.com. Exactly. And uh, as, as we talked about uh, user risks uh, and also um, risk in general, so um, is there a link here between the IEC 62366, which is about usability, and the ISO 14971, which is about risk management for medical devices? So uh, should we consider them at the same kind of level? One is more for users and the other is more for general uh, risks about your device? Uh, ISO 14971 is obviously the leading process, and uh, that's where usability basically brings interfaces to. And there are several interfaces, and I've uh, seen processes where there was no interface description. You can't be compliant if you don't have this interface between usability and risk management going on very clearly. And one of the main parts that are going across that interface, in my view, is at least the use error. Yeah, you know what's going wrong. You can put that in your sequence of events. From that sequence of events, you can derive any kind of hazardous situations, etc. And um, it's probably not the only part of the sequence of events, but that can be brought in there. And then you can analyze the thing things. You then get your risk control measures that need to be part of the user interface specification, which is a document required by IEC 62366-1. And then those use errors that uh, we find out in, in evaluations uh, that we observe or hopefully don't observe because we've done a good job already, then um, we, we 
have to evaluate, do root cause analysis on those. So now, um, if I am um, a, a startup company that I'm starting now to think about creating my software or my device hardware, etc., and um, I maybe arrived and listened to this podcast and listened to us, oh, I should do that, okay. So can this company do it by themselves, just by opening the IEC 6266 and do the job that is written inside, or do they need a laboratory and external uh, uh, support to do that? So how 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 they should the logistic? How is the logistic for yeah. making all this? Um, usually, when you want to do it sensibly, you need someone who has a usability or human factors background. It doesn't have to be medical devices because these people are very hard to find. You send them. To you have to send them once to a training course and then they can do it usually themselves. Um, if you don't have that background, it's a steep learning curve. It's obviously doable and I've seen it with many companies that it's, it's doable, but be prepared that actually people could study human factors or usability. So there's a reason for that, yeah? <laughs> because obviously there's a lot of knowledge that goes into into the this this thing so from a perspective and from my heart as a usability expert i would say oh definitely get a usability expert but hey i know a lot of people don't have one so yes you can do a lot of these things what is probably the hardest part is actually the logistics and then the moderation of the evaluations the formative ones and the summative ones yeah so these are really the the most important um, aspects, and the, they are a bit more difficult to do yourself. Um, you can read books about it. Yes, there are, there are good books about usability testing, not necessarily only for medical devices. Don't don't necessarily look at those. Yeah, take take the uh, literature, and maybe we can put some of this in in, yeah, in show notes. Show yeah, notes. If, if you send that to me, yeah. I will I will put that on the show notes. Yeah. Um, here we have the knowledge, as you've said, of uh, doing that. But um, you need, I think, also some people, some testers, some people that you will be like guinea pigs that will be doing yeah. the, the work and you will observe and you will uh, check what they yeah. are doing. So it's not only you, you have also to have some kind of uh, volunteers. Obviously, we need some, um, we call them either test person or participants. Um, we intentionally uh, don't call them subjects or yeah. any kind of um how you would say uh, they are they they are not participants of a clinical study. Usually. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. we're always trying to to maneuver away from being a part of a clinical study because obviously that's very expensive. So we are simulating a lot of things. We're simulating use the use of the device, and for that we will need participants. And these participants um, need to be recruited. Yeah. Usually when we do this, we pay them money. If you as a small startup company have some founders or connections into the into the medical community, you can recruit them from there. Um, it's usually good to have not only fans of your device, but also some people who are more critical so that you get good and breadth uh, view of what's going on. Exactly. And um, should those people, uh, should they, those people that will be testing the device will have some kind of skills 
on the device or for example um yeah. we we have uh, we have uh, some some products like sutures should this be surgeons or nurses that are manipulating yeah. that or i can take anybody from the street and say can you come and follow the instruction and tell me if you are able to do that obviously we can't do that <laughs> we need the real intended users yeah that's how the norm also or the standard also says it yeah so um if we have intended users we have a profile we've written in our use specification hopefully if, we, if we've done it well we can directly derive a questionnaire and say by the way are you a surgeon yes okay then you can take part are you an author uh, are you specialized in orthopedics oh yes you can take part oh you don't do instrumentation of uh, spines Yeah, no, sorry, I can't have you in this test because uh, obviously that's the thing that uh, we need for that. Because um, yeah, if people do do these spine surgeries, obviously they will have special knowledge and skills, and they know what's what this is about. And the same is is applicable for the um, technicians in the operating, let's for example. So uh, there is also the case where, um, you know, when we are doing this kind of uh, development, we are defining the intended population and we can have some elderly people, some uh, women, men, uh, children, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So uh, in that case, should we also target all this population when we are doing this usability? Um, obviously, that would be the case when we have home care devices um, and um, we have real patients interacting with these devices. Um, for the European market, the um, requirements are rather less strict. Yeah, um, you can have one user group and that's fine. And then uh, for the um, American market though, the FDA will probably want to see three. Yeah, okay. elderly, uh, normal adults and young people. Exactly. And um, in terms also of, uh, because you, you you said also before that uh, clinical investigation can cost a lot, so it's why it's uh, try to avoid that. Here, uh, how many people uh, are we needing for doing this kind of exercise here? So, because you, as you said, we have also to invest maybe some money on paying people to be participating to that. So how many should we um, try to uh, involve on the study? That's the one million dollar question yeah. for Europe, uh, but it's not the one million dollar question for the U.S. Because for the U.S., we can say that quite easily. The Human Factors Guidance of the FDA says 15. Exactly. Okay. Um. So that's easy. There is an MHRA guidance. So UKCA mark people, be aware. They kind of tell you 15 is good. Okay. Um, Um, and then there is obviously Europe where there's nothing at all. And okay. I can justify anything between five and whatever can be statistically uh, significant and justified, which is a complex thing because you need to um, prognose the um, use errors that will happen. So it's not an easy statistics and you, you can only do that over time if you want to do it correctly. Um, in the end, I would not advise anyone to do a statistically justified um, approach to the amount of participants. Yeah, because the standard allows us to do qualitative research. Cool, let's do it. And in the end, one has to say, if we take five, 10 or 15, it's a magic number because we can't predict how many use errors there will be and how likely they are. And because of, of we don't even know if there's a bell curve for that. I don't know, yeah? So the interesting bit will be, hey, how many do we take? What is 
for uh, good enough for us and for this device and for the risk level of the device. And um, anyone in Europe, you're fine with five. Maybe your notified body may ask for more. If you if you tend to go to um, a notified body that used to be in the UK mostly, they tend to have a lot more knowledge about human factors. Other notified bodies are building up that knowledge over time, I would say. Exactly. Yeah. So this is something that uh, you have also to be uh, careful and uh, try to also justify some somehow this kind of, uh, of criteria. Because yeah, in the clinical investigation, well, the way is that we try to have as less uh, patient as possible because it costs uh, less money. But uh, for statistics, we need as much as many patients as possible to get more accurate data. Also, so it's finding yeah. the balance between uh, between uh, all that. Um, you talked before about formative and summative study. I wanted just to come back to that. So. Um, what can you can you re-explain again what is the difference here what when are we talking about formative study and how often we should do that and when are we talking about summative study and also how often we should do that yeah sure um so formative studies obviously form the device so think play-doh yeah so i got a device a play-doh and i can change everything that i want to yeah so they are during development the most valuable ones are with prototypes that are non-functional, no development effort, just industrial design, not design design, but placing the functionality on the box and saying, does that work? Can people put the back there? Can they reach the button? Eh, if it's up there, they can't reach it. Yeah. So these kind of things that you can try it out and you fail. And then you do another version and another version, possibly. Well, we probably only need one because we've learned a lot of things. And then we improve that for the next prototype, which might be already partly functional. For example, a little bit more software that works or um, more of a design housing that, that can be um, used, et cetera, PP. So um, what makes a lot of sense is to have your project plan aligned to these formative evaluations. And then drive it by saying, okay, at this point, we want to have one. At that point, we want to have one. And at that point, we want to have one. And then drive the functionality so that you can test, does it actually work? Will people be able to use the device? And that can be, yeah, I've seen that in very um, mature companies. And that is a really good idea to drive usability through that. In my opinion, you need one formative evaluation. Okay. It doesn't have to be a usability test. And we should talk about what is the usability test. It's basically observing people. Yeah. And that's something that many people don't understand as well in usability engineering, um, that, we are, that we have participants who actually use our device and we observe. Usually we tape it as well on camera and, and uh, get the sound, uh, sound recording because otherwise it's hard to understand what they did when we look at the analysis. So... Um, this is all. Uh, this this is really something that brings quality into usability tests. And, but the and, most important thing and, is and, observation. And mainly, yeah, this observation is important. Uh, I, I see that uh, also a lot of people that are trying to do that are trying also to uh, talk to the people that are doing. Say, oh no, 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 you should do it like this. No, you should yeah. you should refrain to do that. You should try to stay the back. You have just to yeah. observe to find where they are making yeah. the mistakes yeah. and then finding a way to improve. But you should like because I know that there are a lot of experts. Why he's doing like that? Why is it's like, ah. <laughs> yeah? And it's uh, what we usually do is the manufacturer sits in another room and yeah. they can watch on screens so that we have enough 
room to leverage if someone bites in the table because they can't <laughs> use the device. So it's 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 really important to to understand that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is mainly formative and summative. What's that at the end exactly? Yeah. So the idea is that we want to find out, is the device safe? Yes, no, maybe. Or can it be used safely even more specifically? Yeah. So um, that's that's the idea. It is a 95% usability test because otherwise the methodology, it's the gold standard. That's the one that's that's what is being expected. And that this is also what IEC 62366-1 expects, but it leaves you possibilities to use other methodologies. And that's intentional and that is good because sometimes you have very small changes on a device and then uh, having uh, five people, for example, opening a package uh, with a sterile component in it is just not sensible. Yeah, they open up the package and they go, yeah, here. Um, so does that make the device safer or the interaction safer? No, but um, usually when you have a new device, you need to observe people how to do it. And then every single use error that occurs, we need to analyze it. If it's a new one, the standard actually requires us to start from the front. Well, there are ways out. Uh, when you find in risk management, okay, it's, it wasn't that bad, um, but it's still hard to really um, understand uh, how things could go on. And um, usually this loop is intentional. So it's 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 important to really have that. And it's part of validation of the device. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, uh, as you've said, you have worked on with many companies since many years. So um, do you see a common mistake, common issues that they are all doing and you know they, are do they will be doing that, so it's yeah. normal? Yeah, um, start too late is the first one. Okay. It's, it's very clear, you should start right at the beginning. Usability engineering, 50% of that standard is just design input and possibly even earlier, yeah? So having that is, is really something that, that is important. Yeah, starting early because it can drive requirements and it's just by fulfilling the standard, the device already gets better. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very likely to get much better than compared to not doing it because you're thinking about the workflow. No one usually thinks about the workflow that a user will take through the device. Take, uh, all, the, all the engineers, they always think, oh, I have this bell and this whistle and this software button, and then there's no coherent workflow. And that's what a usability engineer can bring to the table that we have this coherent workflow. And this makes the device already better. If you want to have an excellent device, you should do user research right at the beginning. Okay. So another common mistake is that um, people send out questionnaires for um, for the summative evaluation. Okay. That doesn't include observation. That's a problem. Yeah. And this is also a reason why having clinical studies as part of your usability evaluation does not work well because we usually don't observe people or if we observe them, for example, if we have uh, any kind of implants and we observe or we, we are in, in that clinical study setting where an implant is brought into someone, we, we won't see the use errors because there's five people who say, stop, don't do this, this is dangerous, please do it differently. So uh, yeah, clinical studies are mostly not showing really, and we won't find the root cause for what's 
what what really is the problem in in terms of usability we will see that the device doesn't work that well but people might even not aware that they do something wrong yeah so that's that's something that that is really important and yeah then i find that use scenarios can be written far more easily than most people do it but yeah that's just uh in terms of how how you do it then um the way people do it is compliant but I see very often that it's inefficient. So is there also a need uh, for those manufacturers or those tests to be done in the exact environment uh, where this product should be used, like, for example, in an hospital uh, for certain devices or um, at home because it's mainly uh, where it's used or in an ambulance because mainly this is where this device should be used. So is it also part of the usability to, do, to, to, be, to put the environment in, in, in question? Of course it is, um, but the most important part there is the simulation. In formative evaluations, it's not as important. In summative evaluations, you wanna be much more specific about the use environment. On the other hand, um, in Europe, a lot of things will go through um, with not so much scrutiny on, on this part. Okay. <laughs> and uh, any other type of advice or anything that you would recommend uh, people uh, out of those that you have just given for having a safe journey doing their usability? Um, yeah, there, there's probably tons of things I could say. <laughs> and it's it's really the question where to start. So we use a very specialized format of writing use errors because it's such a central element. I always try to train people to write use errors as a whole sentence with the user in there. So the user does something wrong or does not do something correctly and have that as a sentence template and then name the user role. So the physician doesn't clean the device would be a good use error. Okay. And it's observable. Use errors should be observable. There are exceptions for that okay. because um, Obviously, when you look at um, when you look at a diagnostic device, you will see okay, there's a value, and I need to read my blood sugar from the device. Okay, I'm reading it, and I go, oh yeah, it's 75. Okay, um, when you want to have something observable, that would be how much do how much insulin do they do they want to inject? So there's a lot of calculation in between and there's a lot of reading in between. So did they read the correct um, the correct um, um, unit, et cetera, all these kind of things. Um, we sometimes take an abbreviation on these diagnostic devices where we say, okay, uh -huh. when people just read it, it's fine with the correct unit and then stop there. Oh, great. Um, so um, I think yeah I think we have covered many what um, what uh, are the good practices or uh, is there a good usability practices like we talk about good clinical practices good manufacturing practices so I hope that this is mainly the good usability practices and how to execute that um, so mainly what's your why uh, how you can help uh, people that are listening now to maybe help them also to execute that yeah. so what's your company's why people should maybe contact you for for doing this exercise with you yeah um we teach a lot of training courses um that are not we don't do it ourselves but they are public courses so we teach courses for for example encotech and to Rheinland and to Süd. um so we're we're there 
uh, present uh, in teaching. And the next thing we do is we coach people to do it correctly. Mm -hmm. um, this would be, uh, so I'm starting with a small budget and uh, trying to get bigger. Um, if you have more money, we can do um, parts of evaluations and uh, also write some parts of the documentation for you, write use scenarios, et cetera, from our experience as well, or the use specification where we know where to research things, et cetera. And then we can do evaluations, obviously, um, which could be completely turnkey or as much, uh, it's always a negotiation in between us of how much does the manufacturer want to do? How much can we do? And it's it's really, we try to make it accessible for every kind of um um, company and even we have startups and we have big corporates. Um, we have kind of, we see kind of everything really, and we negotiate always how how we can help best um, to to bring that uh, across the line and to get either an FDA approval. We could write the human factors engineering report that could be left to the customer. It, it really is an, up up to the manufacturer to decide how much money they want to spend and how much uh, time they have, uh, et cetera. So if, if I have a, a, a big budget and I say, okay, here is my product, do everything. So you are able to do everything, even yeah. to recruit the patients and even to do yeah. this observation, to do the report and everything. So it's also, I mean, you can yeah. do everything from A to Z. I give you just the products and you can do everything. Yeah. So ideally you would come with the idea and then we, <laughs> yeah, so that we start early and then we, we go off and do user research and we, we do everything, a turnkey usability engineering file with um, recruitment in US or in, in Europe, wherever is needed, and then go off and say, hey, this is, this is your usability engineering file, thanks. Right. Uh, and be done with it. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's also important to have that too, because I have some. We have some customers that uh, have no clue what we are talking about. Many, many sometimes, and they want to have the expert that are doing everything from A to Z, as long as they have the money to do the the job. So it's which is really great. Okay, so um, mainly I will put all your details on the show notes. Uh, so don't hesitate also to send me the links, maybe of the books that you are talking about, yeah. so that I can place them also cool. on the show notes. Uh, and then yeah, the ideas mainly for people that are listening that uh, if you have any question also about usability or things so you can also send directly the messages to uh, Michael and uh, get some uh, understanding and maybe visit the web page also of uh, uh, Benkana interfaces uh, so that you can uh, have a better understanding also of what they can do if, if you have a project ongoing so don't hesitate to contact Michael directly okay so Michael really thank you very much for all the information you provided and I wish you a nice day thank you have a good day everybody. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much.